Good morning and happy Father's Day to all of you fathers. Um, man, and to you non-fathers or to those of you who have fathers, I want to encourage you to take today to remember and to encourage fathers. And it's such a, I don't know, it's such a nice little marker in our culture. There's a few things I really like about our culture, a few things I really like about our culture, and that's one of them. I really love that we try to take time to remember mothers on Mother's Day, and we remember fathers on Father's Day. So take some time today and honor your father, um, and thank God for him, and if you're a father, thank you for being one and for loving your children. We're going to continue in God's Word, really wanting to let it shape us today, Um, from the book of Proverbs. Our text is verses 1 through 27 of chapter 4. And I'm going to read the whole thing. And one of the things I really like about the summer series is that we often take Old Testament passages and they need to be read in full. And I'm going to read the entire chapter. And it's just good to stop and and just read the word together. Um, So I'm going to read this and, and just track along and let's just hear the word for our lives. It says, hear, O sons, this is verse 1, chapter 4, hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight, for I give you good precepts, do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender and the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast to my words, keep my commandments and live, get wisdom, get insight, do not forget And do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Hear my son and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. If you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they've done wrong and are robbed of sleep unless they've made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of righteous. The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn which shines brighter and brighter until the full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for out of it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk Far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the feet, ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right, to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Let's pray. Father, we come before you together like this. 
because we want to hear your word and we want it to shape the way that we think and live and believe and hope. We want it to shape everything about our lives. We know that there is a a, a right way. We know that it is straight and it is narrow and that there are many crooked paths that leave it and depart from it and go a myriad of different ways which lead to death and darkness. And we want to stay on the path. And so we have come together. And one of the reasons we have done that, Lord, is so that we would hear from your word. And so we pray together, I hope in one accord, that you would speak through your word to our hearts today and encourage us and challenge us and convict us and give us life through Christ. I pray for your help. My insufficiencies become so apparent to me, especially in this moment. And I pray, Father, that your power would be made strong in weakness. We rely on your word, not on any person. And so, Father, I pray that you would move now through your spirit in our hearts for your glory. And may the gospel be clear and believed and cherished and loved May it be our anthem. May, may it be the gospel that encourages us when, when life seems to fall away. May we turn not to the end of the tunnel, as it were, like the end of a trial, but we would turn to Christ right in the middle of it. And I thank you, Father, for fathers that are here today. I thank you especially for the godly ones, the ones who love you and follow you and treasure you in their hearts. And Lord, I pray that we would all aspire to be godly ones today. I pray that that would be the challenge for the men who are here today, to be godly fathers. Help me to be that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I'm going to let you in on a little preacher's dilemma. There's something about preaching through a book that repeats its themes, uh, that creates a bit of a difficulty. There's part of my brain that didn't want to begin this sermon with another reference to fathers, you know, because I don't know if you've listened to the last four sermons, my, my first two, or Sam's excellent last two, really worth listening to. If you haven't, go back and listen to those. Um, but I think in every one, there's an illustration or a, like, a, like an ode to fathers. And, uh, you know, here I was thinking about how to, how to get into this, and there was part of my brain that was like, I don't want to start with yeah, another story. You know, like I had a lot of illustrations about fathers already. You might remember the, the, the talk Gepetto should have had with Pinocchio and all that. And there's a part of my brain that didn't want to do that again. But there's another part of my brain that came in and kind of slapped that part of my brain and reminded me that that's exactly what this proverb is. That's what this proverb is. It is two more lectures from a father who loves Christ to his son whom he loves and wants to follow Jesus, follow Christ. That's the reality. Right at the heart of this proverb is a, is a father talking to a son. So as an expositor, I'm obliged to point you to that reality. This is a father's, and this is, this is a father talking to a son. And you know, this is Father's Day, so it's entirely appropriate, even if it wasn't, it would be. But it's entirely appropriate and fitting that we would emphasize that point today. We're... We're likely to read uh, Proverbs 4 in a few different ways, depending on our perspective. I mean, it says one thing. It, it, it says one thing, but 
I think that we read it from our perspective in different ways. Like as a father, uh, part of the way I read this, okay, just as a dad with kids, is I want to, I read this and I, I want to be that father that is right here in this proverb. I want to impart godly wisdom to my children. That's, that's how I read this. I, I read this, you know, even just apart from the, the, the nuts and bolts of it. And I think the overarching challenge there, I, I want to be that. I want to be that dad. If you're a dad or if you'll be a dad one day, I hope you'll read that this way and you'll set your heart to be this kind of father. A father that so loves God and so loves his children that he urges his children to follow Christ in this way. If you have or had a godly father like this, part of the way I think you should read this is with gratitude in your heart for that gift of kindness from the Lord. Oh, what an increasingly rare blessing it is to have a father who loves Christ. A dad more interested in your heart than your mere outward behavior. The rare dad whose goals for you are not merely self-sufficiency or worldly success, but holiness. This proverb, and like many of these proverbs in the early part of this book, ought to make you grateful for those kind of fathers. Another way to read this is as a challenge, I think, and I think this is for men and for women, a challenge to be the spiritual fathers to children, to spiritual children. The and I'm not, not just related by blood. You know what I mean? Fathers, just the same, but not related by blood. Paul called Timothy his true child in the faith, even though he wasn't blood related to Timothy. That's 1 Timothy 1, 2. He was his father in a discipleship sense. And I think we should read this with that in mind as well. We should aspire both to have those kind of spiritual influences in our lives and to be those kind of spiritual influences to others. This ought to prod us towards discipleship. So if you put this together, I think you can see kind of some of my goals this morning as I preach this. I'm praying that, that this proverb in general challenge fathers to be more intentional about leading their children towards godliness. And I'm hopeful that this proverb today will make us more grateful for the godly fathers that we have and the godly fathers that we know. And my hope is that this will make us want and want to be spiritual parents. That this would prod us towards intentional discipleship. So with that in mind, let's turn to the meat of this. And to walk through this proverb, I mean, it's really hard. There's so many different subjects. Preaching proverbs is, is a wonderful challenge. But um, maybe to walk through this one, we'll think of um, some highlights that will come up in terms of pillars or supports. Um, so my basement has a bunch of these... Uh, pillars in them or supports, you know what I mean? Like all through it. And it, they can be kind of annoying because, you know, you can run into them. You can't really decorate around them. I mean, they're just, you, and so you could think, man, I'd love to just remove those, but, but you can't remove them, can you? You know, like what happens if you remove them? <laughs> the, the floor will sag big time, right? And you'll have a hard time walking on the first floor. So you need them. They're, they're, they're to walk right and straight and safe. And that's a pretty good illustration for what Proverbs are. They hold up the floor under our feet so that we can walk straight. So 
there are five pillars in this proverb that I want to highlight. There's more here, lots more. There's, I, I could spend lots of time talking about staying away from crooked speech and the, the deceitfulness. I mean, there's so many good themes here for us, but I had to narrow it down. So there's five, um, and we'll go through those and then make a few points of application. So here we go. The first pillar is what I already mentioned. This is a father giving instruction to his son. I think this is the fifth, not the last one, but the fifth fatherly lecture. He didn't want his son to choose to walk in folly, and he knew that we do that. And this is a warning to his son to stay on the right path, the path of wisdom. This dad knows that the wise path will be way better for his son, even though it's not obvious to his son. It's not obvious to young people sometimes. But it's obvious to his dad. He knows the path. The father knows that there's a path that leads to darkness and one that leads to life. And he has the sense and the love for his child to instruct him in it. Now, I want you to note that when he does that, and when you see instructions from a father to a son all through the Bible, you don't find mere affirmation. Okay? It's not mere affirmation. Do you know what I mean? I think affirmation is important. Don't come away thinking, I don't think you should affirm your children. But it's not mere affirmation. And we often think in terms of affirmation, right? I think we can think that our greatest priority as a dad is to make sure that my kids know that I'm proud of them. Right? So I want to affirm them all the time. I, 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 you know, there's something to be said about that. Don't, don't, don't hear me wrongly. But brothers, our children need more than our affirmation. And sometimes our affirmation is not loving. Sometimes affirming is not loving. Let me think of it this way. And this, honestly, is something our society gets woefully wrong. Many conflate affirmation with love. And they consider not affirming in any way, behavior or whatever, as hate. But if I affirm you and your path, even though that path walks right off a cliff to your destruction, is that loving? That looks a lot more like hate, doesn't it? And there's lots of reasons I might want to do that. I might want to please you. I might want you not to not like me. You know what I mean? Lots of reasons, lots of motivations, none of them godly. And none of them drenched in love. Affirmation is not our highest aim. The father isn't merely affirming his son. He is pointing out to him a path that he knows he should walk on. That he knows is good for him, that will lead to his flourishing, that will lead to his good, that will lead to life. That's loving. Even if it's often tough love. The wise father, this wise father knows, he knows this right path from his own experience likely. And he knows it because someone has told him. Someone has shown him the map. You know, like if life were a map, someone, someone pulled the map out. I was, I was on a road trip with a buddy the other day and we often stopped and we'd, we'd pull out our maps and we'd put them on the hood of a car, you know. Um, and we just, let's go here, let's go here. And this is what this father did. He pulled out the map, brought his son over and said, look at this, this is the path you should go on. And he knew it because his dad had done that with him. That's my next pillar. The father is not merely relying on what he has experienced. This wisdom is not original to this dad. Note this. This is, this is really important. The wisdom of Proverbs 4 that this father is imparting is a derived wisdom. 
It comes not from himself, but from another source. Look at verses three and four. When I was a son with my father, tender and the only one on the side of my mother, he, my father, taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast to my words. Keep my commandments and live. And then all the, all the way to verse nine, this father's quoting his, his father. So this father did not get this wisdom for himself. He did not contrive it. It's not contrived wisdom. It's derived wisdom. It comes from another source. His own dad. And I, you know, I, 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 there's a lot of thoughts here. But one, one thing. We, we should rejoice in our godly heritage. <laughs> what a blessing to have people in our lives that speak truth to us. Whether that's a mom or a dad or a grandfather or a grandmother, youth pastor, elder, believer in the church who just follows Christ and serves humbly. It is a kindness from the Lord to have people in your life who speak truth and wisdom to you. It's a kindness from God. And this son in this proverb should be thankful for his father and thankful for his grandfather. Wisdom didn't begin with his dad. It's a derivative wisdom. That's the next pillar. It's a derivative wisdom. His dad was a mere middleman passing on true wisdom to his son. And brothers and sisters, that's what we all are. We are all middlemen. That's what I am as a preacher. I'm a middleman. I don't, I don't come here, and this is really good news for you, I don't come here to, 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 so that you can hear my wisdom. I don't stand in this place to impart from you something I have contrived. This is what I think is the way you should live. You should be really thankful because my wisdom is limited, it's fallible, it's... Sometimes not wisdom. I'm a middleman. My whole duty is to pass on the wisdom of another so that you might learn to walk in the way of wisdom. And fathers, this is what you're called to be. Every dad here, I want you to hear me. You are called to be middlemen. Passing on truth to your children and to others. And note that wisdom doesn't actually, it didn't begin with his father either, right? The, 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 it didn't begin with granddad. We know this because we've read all of Proverbs. We, we've read Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. We know where this wisdom began. We know where the spring is. True wisdom is like a spring. In Proverbs 4, the father is handing a cool canteen full of life-giving water to his son just as his father had given him a canteen full of life-giving water. The refreshment, the wisdom, the spring, it doesn't come from either of those men, but from the source, the Lord. The Lord is where wisdom comes from. He is the spring of wisdom. And we're called to go there, dip our, dip our canteens in, and give others the water of life to drink. Remember that Paul said that Christ is the wisdom of God to us. Jesus is the spring at the end of the day. And us middlemen who have discovered where we can get that life-giving water are quick to merely drink deeply ourselves, right, first, and then offer it to others. This wisdom is derivative. Jesus is our wisdom. So take comforts, dads. Because I know this, I know sometimes you can feel way out of your depth. You know, like how do, I, how do I train my children to walk rightly, right? Like I've seen so many lives are a disaster. How am I going to make sure, how am I gonna, how, what am I going to do to make sure that this train wreck doesn't happen here? Take comfort 
You're not called to be the ultimate source of wisdom. God is the spring of wisdom. And he has revealed that wisdom in fullness in his word, in his son. And you can joyfully be a middleman with confidence in the sufficiency of the word of God for their lives. Pointing your child to the wisdom of God that comes through Jesus Christ and the hope that only comes through him by faith. All right, so the next pillar I want to highlight from you from this proverb is wisdom is both urgently needed and costly to obtain. Uh, Look at verse 7. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom and whatever you get, get insight. Now that might be hard to understand and hard to understand where I came up with this point. That is a faithful translation of the Hebrew text. Okay, I spent some time there trying to make sure. But the NIV, while a little more explanatory, like it makes some explanations in its translation, it's actually a little bit more helpful. And I think it faithfully conveys the meaning or the thrust of verse 7. So in the NIV, verse 7 says, the, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom, though it costs you all you have, get understanding. I love that, and I think it conveys the urgency of the proverb. This is a dad saying to his son, there's nothing you need more in life than this. <laughs> nothing. So no matter what it costs you, son, pursue this. And by the way, it might cost you a lot. It's similar to something Jesus said in Matthew 13, 45 through 46. Jesus said it this way. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. Upon when, when finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had. And he bought it. That's true wisdom. This treasure, Christ, is more precious than anything in the world. And even if it costs you everything in the world to have this Christ as your treasure, the profit is still immeasurable. It's worth everything to have Christ. Even your life. Oh, fathers, are you teaching your children this? Are you teaching your children that the greatest treasure to have is Jesus Christ? Not money, not athletic achievement, not success in the eyes of the world, not any other lesser thing, but Christ. And you know, we don't only teach this with words. We don't teach this just by the way we talk and the lessons that we say at their bedside before they go to bed. They know what we treasure. They can see it. Children and others around us can see what we treasure in our heart. They can see what we love most. Do you live in such a way that your children and others close to you can see that Jesus Christ Jesus Christ, the the Holy Son of God, crucified for you, risen in decisive defeat over sin and death, and now seated at the right hand of the majesty on high and coming again one day soon. Can they see that he is your treasure and that nothing on earth has your heart but Christ? Though it costs you all you have, get wisdom. 
The fourth pillar of this, pro, of this proverb is that this wisdom is not mere moralism, but rather it is a matter of the heart. You can see that a few different places. He kind of highlights it. Verses 4, 21, 23. Verse 4 says, let your heart hold fast to my words. Verse 21 says, keep my wisdom within your heart. And then verse 23, probably the most famous verse of this proverb says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Living in and imparting to others true wisdom is is not simply about shaping one's behavior, even though that really gets our attention sometimes. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's where all of our focus goes, one's behavior. But it's not just about conforming to a list of rules. This isn't mere moralism. This isn't a dad saying, don't do such and such, but do such and such. Now, of course, that can be important to say, and often we have to say things like that. We have to give a lot of specific instruction. There's a ton of specific instructions in Proverbs. But at the heart of all the instructions is the heart. It is a matter of the heart. The heart is where we hold fast to wisdom. The heart is where we keep wisdom. It is from the heart that flows the springs of life. I mean, you know where laziness comes from? Like, it it doesn't come from a couch, it, it doesn't come from a schedule or a task list. It doesn't come from a body that's tired. Laziness comes from the heart. Lust comes from the heart. Every vice you can think of, you know what it comes from? The heart. And also from the heart is where a sincere desire to follow Jesus with your life comes from. By God's grace, he captures our heart. That's what, that's what the gospel is all about. God captures our heart. He softens it to what we were once hard to. And it's the heart that we have to be vigilant to keep. The wise father, like his father, wasn't interested in just getting his boy to conform. We should not be interested in mere outward conformity to the do's and the don'ts of Christianity. I mean, as a Christian, that should not be your your whole ambition, the do's and the don'ts of Christianity. Listen, and listen well. How many people who will cross every T and dot every I in Christianity will yet still hear the Father say, depart from me for I never knew you. This has to do with the heart. Not just the hands and the feet. Although the hands and the feet They follow, right? That's from the heart springs the issues of life. The heart is what trusts Christ alone by faith. The heart follows Jesus. The heart treasures Christ above all things. The last pillar, pillar number five in Proverbs 4 that I'm hitting on today is that there really are two paths to follow. Two paths to follow. Again, you see in Proverbs the imagery of paths. Look at verses 18 through 19. So there's a path that leads to life and one that leads to darkness. It says, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until the full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. So I'm reading Little Pilgrim's Progress with my youngest child. 
<laughs> she just rolled her eyes at me because uh, I'm talking about her. Um, but this isn't about you. It's about Pilgrim's Progress. So I, I've, I've been reading Little Pilgrim's Progress with my youngest child. And uh, it's a great story, by the way. Have, have you read Pilgrim's Progress? Listen, uh, as a Christian, if you read any book outside of the Bible, if you're going to read one Christian book aside from the Bible, I want you to read the Bible. If you're going to read one book, read Pilgrim's Progress and read it over and over again. Uh, Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, it's awesome. This is just like that one, just written for kids. Um, if you, if, it's, it's just really good. If you're looking for a really good book to read with your child, let me commend Little Pilgrim's Progress to you. The whole story is premised around a man named Christian from a town called the City of Destruction. You know the story, perhaps. He, he leaves off to find the king and the celestial city, and he's got this great big burden on his back, Right? Christian has heard that, that his own city is doomed. I mean, like destruction is literally in the name, <laughs> the city of destruction. And he longs to be freed from his burdens. And so he sets out to be with the king. And along the way, he meets many interesting characters, some helpful and some decidedly unhelpful. One of them is named Evangelist. One of these guys he meets, all the names are like that. Evangelist, helpful, um, yeah, but this one is named Evangelist, and he sets Christian on the right path, points out the direction, and he says, stick to the path. Stay on the road. Stay on that path. Now, the path isn't easy, okay? It goes through a lot of hardships, and uh, Christian finds the way very difficult. Sometimes he's very down, and at one point, right in the middle of his low moment, he runs into a guy named Worldly Wisdom, and Mr. Worldly Wisdom urges Christian to take it easy. Like, what are you doing? The path is so hard. Why are, you, why are you striving like this? Why don't you just go down to my village and rest there? That's where you'll find relief. Don't, don't keep going. That city's so far away and so hard. And this is, this is a village. This is the world. So he goes there, he takes the bait until he realizes that it's all a sham and that the world doesn't offer true life. And he doesn't free, he's not freed from his burdens. And then he runs into his old friend, evangelist, and he's all shameful. Like, evangelist is like, why are you here? Why are you not on the path? What do we talk about, Christian? And so he gets back on the path. In the chapter I read last night, Christian asks Goodwill, another character, how he can know the right path. Like, he's like, there's all these other paths. How will I know what the right path is? And Goodwill goes on to explain what the good paths are, what the good path is, rather. He says, the path that you should stay on runs straight, and it's narrow. The other paths are crooked and wide. People love to walk on them, but this is your path, the narrow way, not the false paths that go in a number of ways. This one is narrow. All the other paths are wide. You, if you look carefully, you can see the right path. Now, as complicated as this life might seem to you, friends, it really is about two paths. The straight and the narrow, as it were, and the crooked, wide paths of the world. There is a way that leads to life. There is a way, singular, that leads to life. All the other ways lead to darkness and death. You can follow Jesus Christ, or you can walk in darkness. And I don't think that statement needs any nuance at all. And the question then is obvious. Are you following Christ or have you found that way hard and decided that you'd rather linger a bit in the village, believing that you might have your burdens lifted some there now? 
If you've left the path or chosen a path that seems more inviting or promising, you've been duped by worldly wisdom. And it's out there to sell you something. The only true remedy is to get back on the path and follow Jesus Christ with your life. So those are the five pillars that I wanted to highlight that hold up this proverb, the floor of this proverb. This is a father-son talk. A wise father wants his son to hear him. He's discovered true wisdom, and he loves his son enough to urge him to walk in that way, the way of wisdom. This isn't mere affirmation. This is life-giving wisdom. And it is a wisdom that didn't come from him ultimately. It came from his dad. Like many of you, this father enjoyed a godly heritage. There were people in his life who pointed him to Christ. The wisdom didn't come from him ultimately. And it didn't even come from his dad, ultimately. The father was a middleman. The grandfather was a middleman. The spring, the true origin of wisdom, the true wisdom is the Lord. Wisdom comes ultimately from the Lord. We will never be wise with a closed Bible. And this wisdom is costly and sometimes comes the hard way, the way of wisdom. It is difficult. If you set your face to follow Jesus, I cannot promise you that your life will be easy. In fact, I have it on really good authority that it will be hard. Costly. In fact, it might cost you everything. But as Proverbs 4, 7 says, though it costs you all you have, get understanding. And this is a matter of the heart. True Christianity does not rest in checklists or rules or moralisms. True Christianity is a matter of the heart. You believe with the heart. You follow with the heart. You treasure with your heart. True Christianity, as its essence, is believing and following and treasuring Christ above all things. That's what shapes everything else. So let me just wrap this up with a few points of application. What we should, I think, take home from this. First, dad, I hope you find this convicting. Dads, I hope you find this convicting. I really do. I was so convicted. By the way, this father loves his son. I want to love my children like this father loved his. I want to love him so much that I'm not interested in just pleasing them. That's not about pleasing them. I, I want to love them so much that I'm not like merely focused on affirmation, although I do want to affirm them. I want to love them enough to model before them and urge them to follow a way that leads to life through Jesus Christ. I want to set them on a path that leads to way more than worldly success but to holiness and to life with Christ forever. Fathers, what a massive calling we have. So if you're a dad, will you do this? Will you take this home before the Lord and seek his face and seek his wisdom for how you ought to be a father, for the priorities that you have in your fathering, for how to live up to your calling by God's grace? Just this morning, I read an opinion article entitled, America's Crisis is a Lack of Fathers. 
And that is so true. Let's be fathers. And by the way, you can see that lack of fathers everywhere. The fact that in churches, women often out, outnumber the men. The fact that on the mission field, it's two to one, women to men. Where are the men? I'm, I'm thankful that I'm looking at men right now, but where are we and why aren't we discipling? Oh, what a call this is for us, right? And second, this isn't just like dads in the literal sense. I believe we're all called to be spiritual parents, as it were. We're called to disciple our younger in the faith children with scarecrows, not, not just children, but even children without scare quotes. That's what we're doing all week long. We're called to disciple. We're called to grow others in the Lord, to show them, to be the middlemen, passing on the water of life. And finally, back to verse seven in the NIV, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. Friends, even if we lose everything in pursuit of Christ, we have everything. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you have revealed to us the path on which we should walk. That we are not left in darkness. We're not left to try to figure this out. We're not, this isn't like some observation game up in heaven where you're watching to see if we're going to take the right path or the wrong path. You have revealed to us by your grace and through your kindness the way. Lord, would you give us eyes to see and hearts to believe that this morning. For your glory and definitely for our good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.